Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Because he lives, we can live. Praise God. You may be seated. Thank you, music team. Thank you to all our children's ministry team that is out there right now with all the children and for the great event they have planned this coming weekend. Well, it's Easter. It's the day we celebrate the resurrection. Or at least we talk about it a little bit more. But really, every day is a day to celebrate the resurrection. I've been doing a series on the gospel. And as uh, my kids like to make fun of me, I tend to um, not preach a long time, but preach a series that's supposed to be short, but it's not. So this is part nine of my three-part series. And it's the last one. And our theme this year is the gospel. Live, preach, advance the gospel. And we've already talked about live and advance, and so we're going to talk about preaching the gospel. But before we do, we're going to turn to Mark 16, verses 1 to 17. Good to see all our guests today and all of you that have traveled home to visit family for the holidays for this weekend. Mark 16 says this, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought, bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said to themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in, lo in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. Don't you love the King James? Affrighted. That just means they were afraid. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples. And Peter, notice that, the disciples and Peter. Peter was a disciple, but he especially wanted to make sure Peter knew. Remember, Peter had betrayed the Lord. So he wanted to make sure, hey, Peter, you failed. You messed up royally. I said you would. You said you wouldn't, but you did. Make sure you go tell Peter. Make sure you let Peter know I'm not holding this against him. All right? And that he goeth before you into Galilee, there ye shall see him as he said unto you. There's so many in interesting things surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. I just want to make a, a kind of a couple of points here. One of the things that you have to consider is that as they were going to the tomb, the, the huge stone that was there was not meant to be rolled away. As a matter of fact, it was said to have been sealed and there were guards there to make sure that no one could break in or break out of the tomb. But as a matter of fact, Jesus didn't roll away the stone so he could come out of the tomb. Jesus rose from the grave with the stone still intact. The only reason that the stone had to be rolled away is so that we could see that he was already gone. 
that they could see he was already gone, that he was already resurrected. In our lives and in our situations, a lot of times God is working and God is doing things, and you can't see it, but that doesn't mean God ain't moving, God isn't doing anything until he finally reveals it to us and we understand that God was in our lives and in our situation the whole time. But Jesus' story, this story, his story, our story, didn't start with the resurrection. This is, of course, the greatest love story known. It started way back. There was a God who decided he would create humanity. You know, it would be one thing just to create a planet and people. But he goes into detail in the early parts of the Bible and describes the beauty of the world and the majesty of the universe. The, the creating of the billions of stars and the planets. Can you imagine the garden and all of the, the fruit and the vegetables and the greenery and the animals who, they, we were all friends at that time. Can you just imagine no pollution, no light pollution, no noise pollution, no hate, no, no fear, no jealousy, no sickness, no death. I'll oftentimes have people ask me, how could God allow so much cruelty or wickedness or evil in the world? Understand this, when God created the world and humanity, he created it without any of that. It was humanity that brought that into the world, not God. He created us to live in peace and harmony. And he created Adam and Eve. And what a great life they had, talking with God, the Bible says, in the morning and the cool of the day. But then a conversation happened between Adam and Eve and a, a serpent, a devil. And some say it was, well, the conversation is recorded between Eve and the devil, but I have no doubt Adam there was stood by. You know, our downfall oftentimes, oftentimes happens when we talk to the wrong people or hang around the wrong things. And so here they were, hanging around. They could do anything in the garden. They could eat anything but one tree they couldn't eat of. And guess where they were hanging out? Around the tree they couldn't eat of. If you had kids, you understand this. This is humanity. No matter what we can do, we want to do the things we're not supposed to do. And that conversation led them into rebellion against God because they chose a fruit over fellowship with God. And when they rebelled that day, the first animal had to be killed to cover them, their sins. So even animals weren't killed up to that point. And then, then they were cast out of the garden and separation from God. And no doubt as harmful and as hard as it must have been for Adam and Eve. Imagine God, His creation. It's amazing that God created us with a choice, with a free will to make up our own mind. We use it for horrible things and then blame God for the horrible things. But God said, I want a people that will choose to live for me. I want a people that will choose to love me like I love them. And so because of this separation, God created laws for mankind to follow so that it wouldn't be total chaos, although it did go into chaos. He required sacrifices of animals to cover the sins of the people. And then came great men and women of God, prophets and, and priests and kings and judges to rule over the people and again to try to steer them and guide them in the right direction. But some priests were evil and so were some kings and so were some prophets' faults. 
And then there came a time where there was silence, where there was no one speaking on God's behalf. That time is is known as that space between the Old and the New Testament. 400 years where God did not speak to humanity. 400 years of silence. And then bursting onto the scene is a man named John the Baptist, a wild man, a wilderness man, wearing camel hair and eating uh, uh, grasshoppers and honey and preaching, repent, change your lives because Jesus is coming. And, And then the virgin birth. Mary, a teenage girl, getting pregnant. And here comes Jesus. The Bible said he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. His name was already chosen before the beginning of time. And he spoke to his people and he said, Mary and Joseph call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Nothing, very little is recorded of his childhood. But as he grew, as he started his ministry, It included teaching like they had never heard, the Bible says, preaching and healing and miracles and serving and forgiving and loving. I just caught you up. You just got the whole Bible right up until the end of Jesus' life. And you're thinking, that's going to save me a lot of reading. You need to read it. And you got to understand all of this was leading to this point. So here Jesus, knowing he's going to die, has one last meal with them. We call it the Last Supper. They just called it Supper. They didn't know it was their last one. It was just another dinner with Jesus, their, their teacher. And so here they were. They enter the room. And Jesus Christ kneels and washes their feet. They're humbled, some even offended. He's trying to show them something. Then he goes to the garden to pray. He takes a few of his chosen ones with him. He says, stay here a while and pray. I've got to go pray by myself. And he prays. And they sleep. The task before him was so intense, as you can imagine, he knew what was coming. The Bible says he began to sweat, and even sweat great drops of blood. You know how intense you got to be to sweat blood through your skin? It can happen. But then he has a conversation. You see, the first conversation in the first garden, they were talking to the wrong person. But Jesus had another conversation, and he was talking to the Father. And he said, I don't want to do this. But if there's no other way, I'm going to do it. You see, Adam and Eve chose death. And that death passed upon all men, the Bible says, so we're all born dead in sin. But Jesus, although he chose the cross that day, he actually chose life. But because of his death, life passed upon all men. Be careful who you talk to. During your darkest days, don't listen to the devil. Don't listen to negative friends. Talk to God. Amen. And so that first conversation led to rebellion in the garden But Jesus' conversation led to submission in the garden. 
But when he come from there, the betrayal began. Judas had already sold him for 30 pieces of silver. They come to arrest him. Judas says, I'm going to show you who he is with a kiss. Jesus called him friend. But when he kissed him, the soldiers move in and arrested him at night like a common thief, afraid to arrest him in the day when the crowds were around. He was led to the trial before the high priest. Back in those days, the religious world was very powerful. They had their own police or their own army, their own soldiers. They could hold trials. And they arrest him and they hold a trial and they recruit false witnesses to lie. And they find him guilty. And they led him away, but it's not done yet. They don't have the power to crucify him. They have to take him to the governor, to the government officials, to the legal ruling nation, to the Romans. As they lead him away, there's mocking and spitting and hitting. You see, here's the thing with the resurrection of Jesus. It's not less like somebody died and came back to life. I don't know if you've ever lost a loved one. A few years ago, my brother passed away. And I remember, I've told you this story before, about going into that funeral home to see him before the funeral started. And I walk into the room and I see my brother, talk to him for a bit, just me and him. And I come out of that room where they're holding him. And the ladies at the front desk... One of them was new. There were two there, but when I went in, there was only one. And one had joined her. And as I come out of the room, this, my brother and I are identical twins, for those that don't know. As I come out of the room, that lady that had come to the desk after I had gone into the room, when I come out and she saw me, she thought there was a resurrection. <laughs> and she almost died, literally almost died. But you know, if my brother could have resurrected that day, he's going to resurrect one day, by the way, but if he could have resurrected that day, that would have been an amazing thing. But Jesus didn't die, didn't just die and resurrect. He left heaven and he came to this world and he served and he was falsely accused and falsely tried and he was mocked and he was spit upon and he was hit. You see, it wasn't just a death, it was a horrific death. And all the while, while that's happening, Peter is denying the Lord three times. He finally gets to the governor. He had spit on him. Handprints on him from the slapping. The trial before the governor. The governor says, I find no fault in this man. Even the governor's wife comes to him and says, I had a dream in the night. Let this man go. Leave him alone. So the governor, knowing that they really only want him dead because of their jealousy, says, hey, we have a custom where once a year we release a prisoner. We have Barabbas, a thief, a murderer, a scoundrel, or we have Jesus, your king. They shouted, release Barabbas. And, and they, when Pilate said, what do I do with Jesus? They began to shout, crucify him. This was the man who had taught them, who had healed them, who had delivered them, who had raised their dead. It wasn't just a dead man coming to life. This was Jesus, and they released a killer. And, G and Pilate said, 
I'm going to send him for a beating. And on his way again, they mocked and they spit and they slapped and he was blindfolded. They, they, they mocked him to the point where they give him a reed and, and put a crown of thorns on him and pretended he was a king and they pulled out his beard. All the while, bystanders standing by watching his suffering. The beating he took was literally within an inch, was within an inch of his life. Leather straps filled with pieces of glass and metal that was meant to dig into the flesh. And as the whip was pulled away, it was meant to, to rip the flesh away. Forty times would kill a man, and he was beaten 39 within an inch of his life. And again, people all around. They placed a crown of thorns on him. Spectators. Then they put a cross on him. They made him carry it as far as he could. Again, just watchers watching. And then they nail him to that cross. First, with his hands and his feet, and they raise that cross up. And there he hangs in the sun. And more taunting, and more mocking, and more deserters. And while he's hanging there and people are spectating and watching and doing nothing but that, his disciples are long gone. His supporters are long gone. The soldiers are gambling for what's left of his clothes. And then the moment comes and he cries out and he dies. And they wanted to make sure, so they plunge a spear in his side. And the Bible talks about darkness and an earthquake and even people coming to life and a veil in the, in the temple ripping. Very significant. We can talk about that sometime. But basically only a priest once a year could go into that holiest of holies into where the presence of God was. The significance of that veil ripping was now you and I, every single person on planet earth have access to the power and presence of God because of what happened that day. You see, it wasn't just a death. When he, when he died, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. The Bible even tells us he went down into hell and took the keys of hell and of death. And they took him from the cross and they buried him. And then there was silence and there was stillness. And this is where we are today, where we picked up the story and then there was the resurrection. You see, it wasn't just a dead man coming to life. It was Jesus Christ and everything that he had gone through came to life. And when he came, why did he do all of that? He could have just died. He could have been born during a time where they had like the firing squad or lethal injection. He chose to be born during a time where crucifixion was how they killed criminals. He chose that. Why? You see, the significance of all of this is found in John 3.16. One of the most popular, one of the most famous, for God so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And equally powerful but not as common, 1 John 3.16. You may not have heard of that one. Hereby perceive we the love of God. 
because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Romans 5, 6, and 8. One of my, my, fav- my favorites. Because sometimes we think that Jesus died for the good people or for the good in us. But it says this, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before you ever said a hallelujah, before you ever said a prayer, before you ever put a penny in an offering anywhere, or stepped into a church building, uh, or read a Bible, he died for you. While you were cursing him and hating him and living your ungodly worldly life, he died for you. Hebrews 12 and 2 is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture. You see, he knew what he was going to face. He knew what he was going to go through. But the Bible says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How could he endure the cross? Forget the pain. He had the power to come down from the cross. That mocking would have got me. That mocking would have got me. I would have been, okay, enough's enough. And I'd have just come down off of that cross and wiped humanity out. But the Bible says this, who for the joy. Imagine what kind of joy it would take to be able to endure everything that came with the cross. Who was that joy? You're that joy. He saw a future church. He saw a future people that would bow their knee and give their lives to him who for the joy, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God. It wasn't the resurrection that kept him on the cross. It wasn't knowing, oh man, I'm going to endure this, but I'll be back. I, you know, it's a long weekend. I'll be back. It wasn't the resurrection that made him go through all that. It wasn't the fact that knowing that, you know, he was coming back to life It was you and I. It was our salvation. You see, it all started when Adam and Eve disobeyed and rebelled. This was God's response to our sin. The question today is, what is your response to His love? The response of the people on that day was to stand by and to watch. To do nothing What is your response to his love? What is your response to his death and to his suffering? You see, our theme this year really sums up what our response to the gospel should be. I've just given the gospel to you. That should be our response. Our response should be to live and preach and advance the gospel. The Bible says that in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many as us, as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. What is it? What is living by faith? What is living this gospel? It is living by faith. It's it's living that repentant life, turning from sin, being dead to our sins. Just like Jesus died on the cross, 
We die to our sin. Just like Jesus was buried, we bury our old life. Just like Jesus rose from the grave, we're filled with his spirit, and we walk in newness of life. Baptism and being filled with his spirit, that's what it is, living the gospel. Advancing the gospel is is about giving, absolutely. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Bible says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Imagine Jesus gave it all. And advancing the gospel is about generous, extravagant giving so that the gospel could reach our city and all over the world. God established principles in the beginning of a first fruits and a firstborn or a 10%. But just like that widow gave everything and the early church sold everything and Jesus left it all to save us, uh, the gospel will only be advanced in our world, uh, amen, by faith givers, by sacrificial extravagant givers, uh, those that seek the kingdom of God first, uh, amen, just like Jesus who left it all for the kingdom, uh, we need to give it all for the kingdom. And finally, we preach the gospel. The gospel is this. It's simply this. We've talked about it for weeks now. The gospel is that Jesus came. He died for our sin, but rose again the third day so that we could die to our sins and live a new life. That's the gospel. The first thing that happened after Jesus rose from the grave is he said, go tell, go preach, go declare it, go let people know. What's the point of the resurrection? What's the point of of just the church gathering week after week if we're just all telling each other Jesus is alive? Great singing this morning. Hey, Jesus is alive. We We can all tell each other. We can all just talk to each other. Hey, Jesus is alive. This is awesome. If you're watching today, Jesus is alive. It's awesome. Well, what does it mean? It means Jesus loves us. It means the fact that he died for us. We need to live for him, and we need to tell it. We need to tell it. In in Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, it says, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, the resurrection doesn't matter if we don't tell anyone. The resurrection doesn't matter if we just keep it to ourselves. If you've got the best news in the world, but you don't tell anyone, what's the point of the good news? We're not going to read it, but, but for weeks we talked about 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul preached the gospel, preached the gospel, preached the gospel. After Jesus died and after he resurrected, what did he say? In, he said in Mark 16, 15, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Declare, make known, hey, Jesus is alive today. That's good news. It's better news than your new car. It's better news than what you're having for lunch. It's better news than your bank account. It's better news than when they finally lift the mask mandate and everyone's vaccinated and we can live free. It's better news than that. Yes, it is. Amen. We need to declare it. 
We need to let, hey, at home you need to be talking about it. At work you need to be talking about it. Online, in line, wherever you go, school, social media, wherever, whenever, however. Hey, Jesus is alive. Let's let the world know there is no more important message. First Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Hey, humanity can't be saved without the gospel. I hate to tell you this. Actually, I don't hate to tell you this. I love to tell you this. You can't be good enough to be saved. You can't do enough good deeds to be saved. You cannot earn your salvation by being here. You can't earn your salvation by what you put in the plate or what you eat transfer. You cannot earn your salvation, amen, by lighting enough candles uh, or joining the right church or, or being a part of the right denomination, uh, amen. You cannot earn your salvation. Uh, it is the gospel that saves us. It is his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And our response to that, there is no more important message. Hey, sports don't matter. Politics doesn't matter. The pandemic doesn't matter. You know, we're so happy to share our opinion on everything. The vaccine, whatever it is. But hey, go ahead and share your opinions on whatever you want to share your opinion on. But for goodness sake, uh, if you belong to Jesus Christ, uh, he says, go and tell the world that I'm alive. Uh, go and share the gospel. The world doesn't need another political expert. Uh, amen. The world doesn't need uh, another person that has another opinion. Uh, amen. Of what's going on in the world. Uh, but the world needs church people uh, and people of God to say, Hey, uh, I know you're distracted uh, by what's happening in your life uh, and in this world. Uh, but have you heard the good news? Because that's what gospel means. Uh, have you heard the good news? Jesus is alive. Now you can argue and you can fight and you can be on social media. Hey, there's no limit to the hot, to hot topics, whether it's racism or abortion or sexuality or identity or mental health or, or slavery. Uh, but nothing matters more than the gospel. Uh, I'm telling you right now, if we had more gospel in the world, uh, we'd have a whole lot less uh, of the other junk in the world. Uh, amen. Preaching the gospel matters more than being nice. Uh, preaching the gospel matters more than being good. Uh, preaching the gospel matters more than being neighborly or even being religious. Preach the gospel. Tell the world. Everyone needs the gospel. He said, preach it to every creature, the rich, the poor, every color, every tribe, every nation, every culture. Uh, amen. It's time for us to analyze our words and our posts and our conversations. Uh, amen. Our work time, our family time, our home time, our spare time. Uh, amen. Uh, how much time do we spend uh, spreading the most important message in the world? How much are we really preaching the gospel? It's what he, it was the first thing he said. The tomb's empty. Go tell it. It was the first thing he said. How much are we preaching the gospel and how much of the gospel are we really preaching? Do your friends know more? I can, I can say it to myself. Do my friends know more about, about what I eat and what my hobbies are and what my favorite sport is or my favorite team or my favorite restaurant or my favorite movie or my favorite TV series or my favorite vacation spot? Do they know more about my pet peeves and about the weather than they do about the gospel? What matters more? 
then Jesus is alive. Our world needs hope. Our world needs hope. Hey, your life can be changed today, whether you're here or watching. Your life can be different because Jesus Christ died for our sins. So we can live life free from sin. There are people who think we're being persecuted or not living in a free country, and I don't like what's going on any more than the next person. But living in a free country is not near as important as living free in Jesus Christ. And I'll have the music come back to give you all hope that I'm going to be done. But here's the deal. Where I grew up and how I grew up, I should not be here today. I grew up in a low-income neighborhood. Two requirements to live there. Very little money and a whole lot of kids. We were surrounded by drugs and alcohol, fighting in the street. I literally saw mothers fist fighting in the street. Lovely old grandmother would hang out her bedroom window cursing and swearing at us. One woman chasing us down the road. We were on our bicycles. She had a butcher knife. She was running. Did she really think she was going to catch us? That's the kind of neighborhood we grew up in. The older kids beat up the younger kids or the smaller kids every day after they got off the bus. My brother became tough. I became fast. There's no reason I should be standing here today. Some in those neighborhood, in that neighborhood, grew up just to go to jail. Some battling addictions their entire life. But when I was young, somebody introduced me to a risen Savior that changed my life. That tomb is empty. But before I met Jesus, my life was empty. And I remember the day I invited him into my life, and it changed me forever. I've not been perfect. But I can tell you, it's the best life you could ever live. And I don't live the way I live to earn salvation. I live the way I live because He gave me salvation. I don't live the way I live so that He will love me. I live the way I live so I can show my love to Him. You see, Paul the Apostle will finish with this. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. My intellect will not change anyone's life. My motivational speeches will not change anyone's life. My opinions will not change anyone's life. But I'm here to tell you that my Jesus Christ can change your life. He can take you and He can heal you and He can deliver you and He can set you free.
This church can do a lot for you, but only Jesus can save you. You see, Jesus paid it all, did it all, gave it all, and he wants us to live it, to advance it, and to preach it. Let's all stand today. This gospel. He, he did all the heavy lifting. He did all the work. He's just saying, what's your response? Here we are. Like Adam and Eve in the garden with a choice to make. Like Jesus in the garden with a choice to make. Like all the spectators. That day when he, Jesus was being mocked and killed, we all have a choice to make. And there's three choices, really. We could be like Adam and Eve and rebel. We could be like the spectators and sit idly by and simply watch. Or we can be like Jesus and say, not my will, but thine be done. I give you my life. I give you my life. Let's all bow our heads right now. Let's pray. Lord, I give you my life right now. I give you my life again. Jesus, you gave your life for me. You did so much more, all the suffering you did for me with the joy that was set before you. God, those that are in this building right now and those that are watching, Lord, I pray that we would be more than spectators. God, and I pray no one no one would go their own way. No one would rebel and do their own thing. But I pray that every one of us would submit to you and give our lives to you right now. Lord, here I am. Lord, here I am.